Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. It's easy if you've always been a good person, if you've mostly done the right thing, to think, well, I I must be in the Lord. I mean, look at all the things I haven't done and look at all the good I have done, but ultimately it comes down to this. You've still sinned against a holy God. And if you're thinking because you're better than most, you're going to be received or accepted, you're not. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21, verse 28, and you will see the parable of the two sons. Now, we are starting there in order to finish Pastor Sam's message, The Savior Rejected. Keep in mind, as Jesus teaches us in this section of Scripture, He is aware of what is awaiting Him, His rejection and crucifixion. Let's listen in. Well, back to Matthew 21 then. Jesus follows all of this with a parable. We know it as the parable of the two sons. And he doesn't let them off the hook. He's got them right there. They've kind of questioned him. He's exposed them. And then he says, what do you think? I like how he does that. You know, Before they could wander away, before they could scatter, before they could regroup, he just says, hey, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Now, you got to know these guys are getting paranoid and they probably had a real quick little meeting to say, Well, I don't know. Do you think it's a trick question or what do you think? But... The bottom line is it's not a trick question. It's just an illustration. And he's trying to point out exactly what's happening there at the moment. The two sons, the first says no, and then says, well, man, that was wrong. I should go do what dad asked. The second son, oh, you can count on me. I'm there for you. I'll do it for sure. But then he wanders away and doesn't do. And I'd like to suggest to you, before we see Jesus' application, that there's a very practical application for us today. Because each and every one of us, either right now or in the recent past, have fit into one of these two categories. You've either been guilty of saying, no way, Lord. Well, maybe you never say it like that. It's, please, Lord, don't make me do that, you know. I'll forgive anyone, but not that one person. Or I'll give up anything, but not sugar. Or I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do anything you want, Lord, but not that one thing. And if, in fact, you're saying anything but, you're saying, no, I won't. And we may not see ourselves as stubborn and rebellious, but that's how God sees us. You see... He has provided so much. We'll see that in the next parable. He has provided perfectly for us so that we can, well, experience Him in the fullest and be as fruitful for Him as possible. And and when we say no, well, we're just hindering that work God wants to do in and through us. There are some of us, though, who are more religious than others. We always say yes to the Lord. But if the truth be told, we don't always follow through and do. And James warns us to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. It's not enough to agree with the will of the Lord. We need to be doers of the will of the Lord. So I'll leave it for you to figure out which category you're in. Jesus is saying, which of these sons did the will of the father? There's another question. Was there any son who ever did the will of the father perfectly? And the answer is only one. 
And that was Jesus. You see, he said yes, and he did. He said yes, and he did. But all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all been guilty of being either the first or the second son. And maybe you've been both. Maybe you were the rebellious one who said, no way, and then finally, yes way, I'll do it. And then you started doing it, and I'll do it, I'll do it. But then you come to that point where you realize, I've really stopped doing the things that God instructed me to do. Maybe you're not in any kind of gross sin, or you're not blowing it completely. You just stop doing the fundamental things that got you here in the first place. But in any case, well, they answered him and they said the first, which did the will of the father? Of course, the one who said no, but yet went and did it. Jesus says, and you got to know this was a jaw dropper. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. I'm thinking everybody standing around their jaws on the ground from this one, you see. Because it's like tax collectors and harlots getting in before the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders. That'd be like today. Well, no, I can't. I don't want to pick anybody that we know that's famous and a Christian, especially a faithful one. And I want to pick anyone who I don't like because that's even worse. But, but let's just say the, the most highly regarded and respected group of Christians on the planet. And Jesus is confronting them and we're listening in and we're kind of watching the scene. And he says, by the way. All the drug pushers and all the, you know, convicts and all the, the, you know, the harlots and all that. They're all going to get into heaven before you do. What? We think, are you kidding me? Those are the religious people. Those are the, those are the good people. How are the bad people going to get in? Well, it's real easy, see. John came to you, he says in verse 32, in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. What's he telling us? Listen, it's harder for religious people to get saved than anyone else on the planet. And if you have grown up your entire life in the church and you always consider yourself a Christian, I'm not saying you're not. All I'm saying is the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. Be sure you're in the faith. Here's why. It's easy if you've always been a good person, if you've mostly done the right thing, to think, well, I, I must be in the Lord. I mean, look at all the things I haven't done and look at all the good I have done. But ultimately, it comes down to this. You've still sinned against a holy God. And if you're thinking because you're better than most, you're going to be received or accepted, you're not. You see, I think most people who come off the streets into a church, they know that they're in trouble. They know they've got needs. That's why we don't spend a lot of time pointing the finger and banging the pulpit. Well, it would break. It's, it's wimpy. But, but we don't do a lot of that stuff yelling at you because, well, you already know you're a guilty sinner. You're looking for good news, not bad news. And you're in need of good news. If you don't know you're a sinner, well, let me give you the bad news. You are a sinner. You have committed Many sins against the Lord. And the good news is he is a gracious and merciful and forgiving God. He wants to have a relationship with you. But, but you need to put yourself in the category of those who acknowledge, yeah, I'm a sinner. Maybe and hope not. Maybe you've never been a harlot or even worse, a tax collector. But, but well, he puts them together in the passage, not me. But whatever you've done... It's enough to nail Jesus to the cross, you see. You and I have sinned against the holy God. And, and so 
He's saying to them, to the religious, to the establishment, to these hypocrites. And that's exactly what he calls them in chapter 23. When we get there, I believe the title of the message is How to Be Religious and Still Go to Hell. And uh, that's really what they demonstrate to us. They were the most religious people that ever walked the planet. And yet Jesus says, man, not much hope for you guys. No, there was some hope and some did repent. But the common sinners and the common people, they heard Jesus gladly. Why? He brought good news. Here another parable. And this is kind of a unique parable in that ordinarily you need to know as you study through parables in Scripture, a parable is meant to have one central core meaning. There's one message. It's an illustration trying to make clear something that well, we'd otherwise struggle with. A heavenly thought with a taught to us through a, an, an earthly story. But this parable, well, it takes the form more of an allegory. And, and here's the difference. In an allegory, there's lots of parallels. There's lots of things representing other things. In a, in a parable, well, really not usually the case. Now, Jesus calls it a parable, and I don't want to argue with our Lord. I think, though, if for his purposes, he says, let me tell you a little story. They would have understood it that way. But for our purposes, we're going to see it is an allegory. And by the time he gets to the end, well, even those religious leaders realized it was not just a story, not just a parable. It was, in fact, an allegory. Here, another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard. Verse 33. You can see everything that's of the verse. And set a hedge about it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. He leased it to vine dressers and went to a far country. And when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. He sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and seize the inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Now get this. As Jesus goes through these few verses and in this short story, he deals with Israel's past, the immediate present, and then the future. Hear the parable. There was a certain landowner, planted a vineyard, set a hedge, dug a wine press, built a tower, leased it to vine dressers. The owner of that vineyard, it's our Lord, you see. It's speaking of God. And you'll see this oh so clearly. And, and there's something practical for us in this. I want you to see that when God sends men to produce, He gives them everything they need to do it. That's true for us, you see. Everything we need to accomplish His plan and purpose for our life, He has already made available to us. So He plants the vineyard, he sets the hedge. That, that would be a, a bunch of thorns and, and thorn bushes to keep out the animals that might destroy the, the vines or thieves who would come in to steal the fruit. He dug a wine press. They'd basically have two sections. There would be one higher than the other. They'd smash, smash the grapes in the higher one and the juice would flow down into the lower. And then it says he built a tower. That would simply be a place to, to rest and to guard, to watch from. He leased it to vine dressers. Now, in this story, the Lord is, in fact, the landowner. And the, the, 
the uh, vineyard itself, it's Israel. Now they would have known that. Isaiah chapter 5, I think verses 1 through 7, make it just perfectly clear. They were so familiar with it. But verse 7 says, The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. That's Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So here's the picture. The Lord is the landowner. Israel is the vineyard. Those he leases it out to, those who become stewards of his people, well, they're the spiritual leaders he's addressing then and there. And then it says, when vintage time came, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. The purpose of the planting is always the same. God wants fruit. Fruit from Israel, fruit from the church, fruit from them, fruit from us. The fruit he's looking for, of course, love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Because God has loved us with the perfect love. He just wants us to reciprocate. And he makes that clear by telling us the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so he sends his servants. Those servants will find would be the prophets that he sent to them. And they took the servants, they beat one, they killed one, and they stoned another. Now this is a rough summary of how they dealt with the prophets in general. The true prophets of God, that is. When God sent his prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, others, saying, hey, thus says the Lord, destruction's coming, judgment's coming. Well, they don't really like that message, you see. But others came saying, thus says the Lord, God's not going to judge you. God's not going to destroy you. And even as there were false prophets in that day, there are false prophets in this day. There are people saying, oh, God doesn't care how you live. It's all a spiritual thing. As long as you love God and you go to church and you're a good person. No, that's not true. God does care how we live. Our belief has got to affect and, and govern our behavior. How we, what we believe has to determine how we behave. And when people behave in a way that God says is an abomination and pastors stand in pulpits and say, oh, God doesn't mind. Don't know. That's just, that was just Paul. He was sort of weird. No, listen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And when Paul says, thus says the Lord, he's speaking for God. And when the Old Testament says, thus says the Lord, they were speaking for God. So, so the true prophets came and, and what did they do? They beat him. They killed him. They stoned him. And so he sent others, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, and they take note of this, it's incredibly important in our story. He sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. Jesus sets himself apart from the prophets. There are many again today who say, well, Jesus was a great prophet or a great teacher or a wonderful miracle worker. He was all those things. But he was also the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was the creator of all things, all things made by and for him, Colossians tells us. And then he is the Son of God. And here he says, I'll send my Son. Now Jesus has moved from their past, I mentioned it, to their present. The Son has come. And what's their response? The vine dressers, the religious leaders, those entrusted with caring for God's people and teaching God's people. They saw the son and said, this is the heir, let's kill him and seize the inheritance. Now, that's exactly what they were plotting and planning. They wanted to destroy Jesus. Did he know it? Absolutely. Is he busting him on it? You know it. Now he moves to the future. 
They caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Listen, this is going to be fulfilled in just a few days. As Jesus is beyond Palm Sunday and just this side of Resurrection Sunday. No, he's headed to the cross. Did he know he was going there? Look in this story. He gives him the past. God blessed and provided for Israel. He raised up prophets to turn them back when they sinned against him. They killed the prophets. And now the son has come and they say, let's cast him out and kill him. You know, Hebrews tells us that he was, he was crucified outside the city. Why? The prophets said he would be. They took him outside the city walls to Golgotha where they crucified him, a thief on each side of him. And we'll be looking at that in just a few weeks together. But in any case, he's moved to the future they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. He tells it like it's in the past because, hey, just a story, right? Therefore, he lets them become the jury. He says, here's the case, here's the story. Why don't you guys decide what's right? When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. By the way, he did both of these. It's just he did the second first. When did he lease the vineyard to others? Well, he expanded the vineyard. The vineyard of the Lord is no longer just Israel. It is the world. The field is the world. We learned in Matthew 13. And now the church and its leadership and every single believer in it, we're charged with, well, doing what they failed to do, loving the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Loving one another so all men will know we're his disciples. Loving the lost so all could know his mercy and forgiveness. So he's already taken the kingdom from them and given it to the church. That began, by the way, in Acts chapter 2. If you haven't read through it, you should. Familiarize yourself with early church history. Read and study the book of Acts. Then he said... He will destroy those wicked men miserably. This wouldn't happen until 70 AD, but it goes down just as he said. When Titus came in, destroyed the city, killed many of the people, took the rest slaves, taking them back to Rome. And if you go to Rome today, there's a huge arch to Titus. I mean, it's big enough to fit in. Well, it's big, too big to fit in this room. And these are big ceilings and wide walls. This huge arch. And it was put there to celebrate Titus, destroying Jerusalem and conquering those people, it's still there today to see. Well, in any case, Jesus applies all this, and he says, did you never read in the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Listen, it was not just a story it was a song. It's a part of Psalm 118, the same psalm that they were singing when they began to throw the palm branches on the ground and they laid their cloaks. We looked at it last time. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How awesome. The Lord's just saying, hey, don't you remember that song? We sing it every Passover as people are coming into Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna. You see, they would have had no problem with that song. It was common that it would be sung, that those praises would ring out. Their problem was that it was being attributed and pointed to the person of Jesus. So, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. If they're crying to the sky, that's fine. But when they cry to Jesus, save now, they're acknowledging him as the Savior. 
So the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, verse 43, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Here's our choice, by the way. We can fall on the stone and be broken. We can fall before the Lord. We can kneel before the cross. You can say it uh, so many different ways, but ultimately it comes down to this. We need to be broken and humble before the Lord. We need to acknowledge that though we may not be as bad as some, we are still, well, our sins are serious enough to send Jesus to the cross. And they did. No man takes my life from me, our Lord would say. I lay it down willingly. I have power to lay it down and power to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. So you can fall on Him and, well, listen, you'll find forgiveness. He'll break you, but then He'll remake you. And then whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. That's the other option. I don't know, broken or ground to powder? Ground to powder. Broken, ground to powder. I don't know. I guess I'll go for broken. Because you, you see, if that's the choices, broken and then remade in his image for his glory, man, I'm all for that. Ground to powder, I want no part of that. And if you're wise at all and thinking at all, you got to know if it's true, those are your choices, that you're going to either be with Him or you're going to be separated from Him, you're going to be enjoying Him or you're going to be destroyed and, and, and kept from Him for eternity. Well, make a good choice. When the Pharisees or the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable or these parables, His parables, they perceived He was speaking of them. Imagine that. They actually understood. Hey, this isn't just a parable. This is a story about us, right? You're talking about us. You're talking about me. And, and, and that's really what's happening. They perceived, because they're perceptive, that he was speaking of them. But here's the tragedy. Instead of repenting, instead of crying, be merciful to us, we're sinners. Oh Lord, I'm guilty. How foolish I've been. I said yes, but I haven't done. Oh, I see it now. They said no, but now they're following and listening and obeying. No wonder they're entering in and we're kept out. But here's the tragedy. They sought to lay hands on him. It wasn't for prayer. No, this is talking about to destroy him. Ultimately, days later, they'd find a way. But they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. You know, fear of what people think. Well, earlier it kept them from doing the right thing. Now this time it keeps them from doing the wrong thing. But fear of man brings a snare. Fear of the Lord, beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord, beginning of wisdom. So today, for us who believe, man, we see ourselves in the story. We're either the son who says no way and now it's yes way or we're the son that said okay but well we never did and now we need to repent. But if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus, don't harden your heart as they did. Don't shut your eyes. Don't stop up your ears because you will someday stand before the Lord in judgment. 
And you won't be able to say, well, I never heard or understood. It never made sense to me. I know it makes sense to you. I know this is clear and simple and straightforward and, and you get it. The question isn't, do you understand it? It's what are you going to do about it? In Isaiah 57, 15, the Lord tells us, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Now, since all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, there's no way to avoid being broken. You can't bypass this, for this is what it takes to become contrite and of a lowly spirit. But as you will discover, being broken by the Lord is not a bad thing. It is actually a thing to be greatly desired and asked for, for this is what leads to a dwelling place with Him in a high and holy place. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.